Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Cheryl Schumann, founder of the Beverly Hills Cannabis Club. She was named by Fortune Magazine as one of the most powerful women in cannabis, and the New York Times named her the Cannabis Queen of Beverly Hills in recognition of her high profile on behalf of cannabis. Welcome, Cheryl. It is such an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I know we've been talking for a long, long time, and I've always admired your work. And it's so funny. I'm actually very shy about reaching out to people, but I really admire what you're doing. So I want to applaud you for that. Well, I love seeing great women come into the sector. It's been a long, it's been a long, hard road. <laughs> yes, it has. And um, based on your bio, mm -hmm. uh, you ha you have far exceeded anything that I could probably ever hope to catch up to in this industry. You have worked extensively with media, celebrities, marketing, and healthcare professionals in the U.S. to create a center of gravity where the cannabis industry intersects with entertainment. You are an experienced investor with a comprehensive understanding of the financial markets and a strong capital markets relationship network. And you're a cancer survivor and activist. Um, you've worked with cancer patients, founded a mentoring program for women in cannabis, and you speak frequently about cannabis on U.S. television outlets, CNN, Fox Business, CNBC, and others. Your bio does not include all of the incredible speaking engagements that you do every year. I know I've seen you in Malta. I've seen you in Asian countries. <laughs> you are out there for cannabis so much, Cheryl, more than anyone I know, and you've been doing it for 20 years. How did you get involved in cannabis, and how did you become the cannabis queen of Beverly Hills? Well, it's a long story, but I'll try to condense it. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm I'm one of those people, I was kind of like the goody two-shoes in school. You know, my stepfather was a raging alcoholic, and he was very violent, so with the violence that I grew up with going to 17 different schools as a kid, I realized that if I wanted to get out of that bad environment, that my only hope was getting an education. So um, I was born and raised, I don't know if you knew this, or not, I was born and raised on a tobacco farm. And yeah, and lived in the Appalachian Mountains between Kentucky, West Virginia, and Ohio until I was 14. And that's when I got my first TV contract. And I had put together this couponing and refunding system back in, uh, you know, literally late 70s, early 80s and got a big gig, ended up being one of the first people on the QVC network and uh, was really using my celebrity friends and so forth to get the word out there, whether it be on an issue, but mostly it was like film and television. So when I would do product placement on a film or TV show, then they would want to talk about that. Then in 1992, I was approached by a gentleman by the name of Sam Vahanis, who was a political and media strategist, and he contacted me. And he was working with George Soros, Peter Lewis, and John Sperling, and they had put together a multi-billion dollar 
uh, fund to legalize cannabis and other other um, uh, drugs, whether it be uh, the mushrooms and so forth and so on. But anyway, I was very interested in the cannabis because that was right at the peak of the AIDS uh, crisis. And we were all losing so many friends and loved ones because the film and television community was a, you know, a, a, a stronghold for uh, people from the LBGTQ community. And I just always thought it was very important uh, to support everyone. I mean, God, we're supposed to love everybody regardless of race, religion, education, whatever. And so when Sam contacted me, he had been uh, looking at some of the work that I had done with Rock the Vote. And I just... When I, when I would hear about friends of mine from high school or college that was facing 15 years to life for a couple of joints in the wrong state, it really opened your eyes. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll be a part of this. You know, what do I what do I need to do? And they, they basically said, we need your celebrity friends to come out. We need you to help get the vote out. And that's how we ended up getting Prop, 2, Prop 215 passed. And Dennis Perone and the old school, these, these are like some of the greatest activists of all time. And a lot of people in today's culture have never heard of them, whether it be Jack Herrera, but even, even some of the women, a lot of, a lot of people say, oh, Cheryl Schumann was the first woman to go out there. You know, and, and as much as, as, you know, I appreciate that, it's not really true because there were some amazing people like Wanda James and Debbie Goldsberry and, and other women that were out there with Jack Herrera on the road on a different part because I was working more on the political front. They were working more on an activism front at that time. And we didn't know each other at that time. But there have been a lot of people in this movement. And it would be, uh, it wouldn't be right for me to, oh, yeah, it's all been me. It's all of my work. No, no, no. I had the fortune of meeting some of the greatest women and leaders and activists, including people like Valerie Corral. This is a woman who dedicated her entire life to, to helping people who were sick and dying. And um, when I saw that and I saw how much good we could do, and it's funny because I was telling your friend that was on earlier, you know, back then when I started getting really sick, I got up to over 200 pounds. And it was so funny coming into the activism community, as long as I would wear tie dye and be quite frankly, a little fat, everyone <laughs> loved me. But when I started losing a lot of the weight and when I started doing television again, and I, I remember I went out and I bought some new suits and everything. And <laughs> my daughter, bless her heart. I so much love her. She uh, got me this, this uh, like that bright yellow suit that everybody sees in a lot of my things. And it's my favorite because my daughter and I picked it out together. And it was the first suit I bought um, after getting through cancer treatment. So that was like, you know, I, I wanted to represent properly because one of the things that I had heard in the in the activism community is why doesn't the mainstream media cover us? Why is it they only cover when when a lab explodes or a house explodes or something because they were you know using butane or doing extractions illegally or whatever? And, um, you know, I was trying to explain to people that if we could get the celebrity vote out, if we get people to come out of the closet, so to speak, and really show who we are. I mean, and it's no disrespect to the counterculture either, because without the counterculture, the hippies, whatever you want to call the various sectors, everyone has had a huge role in this as far as getting the attention into people that will pay attention. And so um, I just remember when a lot of the activists I talked to, they, they would say, why doesn't mainstream media cover it? And, and 
I'd say, well, if that's what you want as far as mainstream media, my God, I've been working in media for 20 years at that point. I just turned 60, by the way. So I've been, I've been at this for a long, long time. Wow. And um, thank you. <laughs> and I just, um, I was trying to tell them if, if that's what you guys want to do, I mean, that's actually, you know, television, as you know, or media as a general rule is a much faster way to get the attention of the quote unquote people who matter, meaning the people that go out and vote. And I think to really capture that, um, you have to show an image that people can relate to. And a lot of times, and I'm not saying it's fair or unfair, but for me, like when I'm dressing up for an interview, especially a media interview, I try to look nice and professional. And I lost a lot of weight. I lost like 60 or 70 pounds, you know, so now I can wear a size four and wear some nice clothes and present well. But still inside, I'm that bib overall girl to grow up on a tobacco farm. I'm here on the tobacco farm right now, actually. And um, I think the important thing right now is we are so close to finally getting something on a federal level. And, and look. We all have our differences. You know, people may not like the color of my hair or the color of my lipstick or the way I walk or whatever it is that they don't like about me. But I think our common grounds with all of us is what, you know, binds us and, and, and helps us to build relationships because all of us in the sector, we're not the enemies. None of us are the enemies. Mm -hmm. And even though we have different lifestyles or, or different educations or different life experience, I think we really need to start looking for the good in all of us and find what we can collaborate on. That's one of the reasons I was so grateful when you reached out because everything I've heard about you, Kara, has been really lovely and respectful and, and people really genuinely like and respect you. And that's important. You know, when, when I was first into this, there, well, and understandably, there weren't a lot of people that felt comfortable, you know, coming out of the closet. And, and for me, that was always my thing. It's like, what do I have to lose? Because I had cancer anyway. And I thought if I'm going to die, I might as well go out with a bang and do something that's worthwhile. And if, if this is what ends up killing me, then, you know, at least it got some attention because what had happened to me is um, I had ovarian cancer and then I had skin cancer and then I had a bunch of tumors. They were hepatic and hemangiomic cysts and they ended up covering about 70% of my liver. So I had to have that taken out and I was only left with 30% of my liver, which is the bare minimum that you can survive on. So, so my health has always been up and down, but my philosophy and my work has always been get as much done each and every day as you can, because you don't know if tomorrow's going to be your last day, you know, whether it be my inability to walk because I've been in and out of a wheelchair for years from a car accident and, um, you know, it's just literally to take each and every day as it comes, make that day your own. And just like Eckhart Tolle is, is to, to stay in that moment and the power of now and, and to really hear and, and speak to people uh, transparently and honorably and uh, to communicate. I, I remember I, I've, I've talked to some people who've come up to me and, and they're like, you actually seem like a nice lady. I had heard that you're a bitch. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> nice to meet you too. <laughs> Okay, so I I want to take that thread and follow that a little bit because sure. you know you are a legendary and some would say controversial figure in this industry. I doubt there are very few people that don't know who you are and have some opinion about who you are, even though they don't know you. So oh, well, tell me everything. I got. <laughs> so, 
you know, it, not many people achieve that level of exposure and awareness that lots of people can have whatever opinion they want. And that yeah. has rumors that go around that, you know, are, I mean, that's just what happens when you're in the public view. That's yeah. part of that, the cost of that. Yeah. yeah. What, but you stand alone as a woman in the industry. What? Yeah has your six now if you hadn't become as successful as you are you probably wouldn't have had become so controversial what role has being a woman played in the life that you've lived and your success in cannabis well okay so all right the first thing is you know and, and keep in mind like i told you i just turned 60 and i have two adult daughters that i love very much that i raised as a single parent so i'm very protective of women in general and because I grew up in a home where there was a lot of violence and abuse against my mother and then to me when I was growing up, I've always felt very, very protective of women. So when I got into the sector, my, my view, my vision was like, guys, we have to focus on not staying underground, but building good companies. And I would go into all the dispensaries because at that time I was running Kush Magazine and handling all the advertising and marketing. And don't get me wrong, um, it, it was a very interesting interest in, in period of time because we were leaving the illegal sector and transforming into the new lawful sector where things were starting to be legalized. And that's when I was telling people, don't hide, don't hide. We're not doing anything wrong. We're actually making history. We're going to change the world. Don't give up. And what I was realizing myself is like when I would talk to people like Cameron Diaz or other celebrities that I know and say, come on, you guys, you all support cannabis. We all smoke cannabis. Why can't you come out and, and join me and speak up? Because they're kids. There were kids like there's this one child that went to uh, or was facing 15 years to life because he made pot brownies for his dying grandmother who was going through cancer treatment. That's bullshit. Pardon my language. That's bullshit, though. So the mom and me, you know, because, you know, moms are, you know, we protect our bear cubs. And so what I started doing, I would, I would see some of these young women in some of these dispensaries. And again, a lot of them were illegal dispensaries still during that transfer into a new legal world. And I would see some of these young girls who would basically be topless with little pasties on their boobies. Right. And I just saw, oh, my God, what if that were my children? And I was telling them, if you want a career in this, you can have a career. You don't have to work for free weed, right? Mm -hmm. But what happened was, number one, men were primarily in control. And it wasn't just men per se. They were thug men who'd been in this for a long time. And quite frankly, they didn't like having a woman from Beverly Hills telling them that they needed to start playing by the rules and paying taxes and being honorable and, and, you know, and being on the record and start building real companies instead of building something and shutting it down, building something, shutting it down, doing all these pop-ups all the time. Because I always felt if we can show ourselves, all of us, male, female, you know, successful, still growing or, or seed, seed companies, if we start building successful companies, then we can reinvest the profits from those companies to build an entire industry. This is before NCIA. We helped start NCIA. And so with Clush, all of the various advertisers, we started, you know, pulling together and pulling together. And it, it was hard for women at first. And a lot of women were terrified of losing their children, losing their day jobs and 
I remember when I first started speaking and I personally was terrified because I could have gotten locked up. I could have been sent to jail. They could have busted me at any time because here I am talking about how I use cannabis every day. I grow cannabis every single day. And I just wanted people to stand up and be counted and stand for something positive that could not only heal the world, but could heal our world's economies. And we need that. You know, our whole world is suffering right now. And when I see how easily cannabis and hemp could fit in and, and, and fix that, you know, to me, it's just, it's so obvious. And I, I get disappointed when, when people don't see it or understand, or they don't want to hear it. You know, and that's where all of us as good citizens, we have to work together to find solution to these problems. So that's when I started my my mentoring program, you know, and I, I raised two daughters as a single parent, as I'd mentioned before. And I just wanted to set up something where women who'd been working in some of these shops as, you know, the girlfriends to some of the guys and no disrespect against men. Men are great, too. But I wanted these women to know that they can do this themselves. They were already running the shops by themselves. So I'd help them find funding and, you know, and, and help them package something. And so, you know, I've been able to help a lot of really nice people to, to gain success. And uh, and I'm really grateful for that. But as far as working globally, to me, the most important thing, because I've always been challenged with such health issues all the way back to fourth grade. Um, and I've just always had the mindset that each and every day I have to fight to get the most out of each and every day, whether it be being able to breathe because of my lung disease or being able to walk because I still have some issues with the spinal cord surgery that I have. But I, I have a mission and my mission every single day is to make life as good it can possibly be, not only for me and my family and my puppies and, and the friends that I love, but just for all of us. And this is where you know, it's so funny. People, people who actually know me, like I'm a huge hugger. Like I just love to hug people because I just, I genuinely love people. And pe sometimes people who don't know me, I think that's that 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 puts them off a little bit. They're like, "Why is this woman going towards me?" It's like, oh, come on, let's let's just hug it out, you know. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's people that I've heard have said things about me. Like I remember one time at MJ Biz Daily, I was at the Starbucks line because usually I start my day with Starbucks, like everybody else, and there were three girls, young girls in front of me and I had my sunglasses and hat on. She says, oh yeah, Cheryl Schumann's going to be here. So I kind of giggled a little bit, but just wasn't really, I didn't invade their, their conversation. She's like, oh yeah, I've heard she slept with everybody. And oh yeah, well I used to work for her. So I tapped on her shoulder and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm Cheryl Schumann. And what's your name again? Because I don't remember ever even meeting you. And I said, fine, me sleeping my way to the top. Please let me know. Cause I actually haven't had sex for six years because of the cancer, you know, so if there's somebody out there that I need to give a call to, let me know. And she was just mortified, but I was thinking, I hear you, I'm right here. And so some of the things that people have made up about me, who've never even met me, you know, I think it's kind of sad. Some of them I understand, you know, because can, can you imagine, uh, Kira, being on the front lines of this as just one person who's been in this since the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? And yeah. here, and so I get it from, from their side. I can, see, I can see them saying, who is this woman? You know, she didn't have to go to jail. I had to go to jail. Mm -hmm. I had to lose everything. I lost my husband, my kids. And who is this woman? So I understand their anger. But what I wish that people would do 
would be to understand that the one thing that I was able to do that I'm most proud of was to get over $3 billion worth of earned media on major outlets, ABC, NBC, you name it, all through the U.S., throughout Canada, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East, all of Asia. And, you know, one of the things that I know is the most important thing in the world that anyone can do, male, female, rich, poor, whatever, is to build a personal brand. Just like, I mean, Mother Teresa she wasn't a business person or anything, but her personal brand, Mother Teresa, who in the world is, has not heard of Mother Teresa, no matter how old you are. She is an iconic angel slash saint. And I'm not saying that's what I am, but you know, I'm not far from it. Um, but the, the point is, it doesn't really matter where you come from, what your education is, what you do for a living. I believe that anyone that has an idea that has the strength and the perseverance to keep going no matter what, I believe they'll be successful. Will they have to change the roadmap along the way? Sure. But the most important thing is to be true to yourself. And when I would hear some of these really mean, nasty things, well, some of them I'd kind of giggle because they were just so crazy. And then others I would cry because I would say, wow, these people don't even know me and it, and it hurts because you know, I'm a good person. And um, I think people, a lot of times when they would see the, the media and stuff with the Ferrari and all that, they didn't realize that the car that I drove every day was a Prius that I kept for 10. No, I actually kept it for 12 years and I loved it. I'm probably going to buy another one, you know, because when you look at like the climate, there are certain things that you, you have to consider. You know, I, I love doing cross country trips and with what's going on in the world now, as far as the pandemic, road trips are going to be a big way people are traveling again all the time. And I want to be able to do that. I love being out in the wilderness and meeting people and just going all over the world. So I want to talk to you about what it was like to live through that experience as a woman and how, what you went through emotionally, because you, you've had to survive and oh, yeah. the only woman in the room for 20 years, you know, where cannabis is. It's overly sexualized. We are exploited to sell products as women. We receive scraps of funding compared to our male counterparts. And, and, and yet the women that are in the industry right now, we have each other. Mm -hmm. You had almost no one. And I had absolutely no one. You were absorbing all of that yourself. Yeah. What was that like for you emotionally and how did you deal with it? It was devastating. Um, you know, when I was going through cancer treatment, my daughter, Amy, my oldest daughter, she basically took care of me day and night, night and day for months and months and months until I started to get back on my feet and my health started returning. But I was shocked at, you know, I, I you know, when I, when I saw that I might make it, that's when I just, <laughs> I just doubled down and thought I'm going to do everything I can. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to use this as like a, uh, platform to to basically strategize a way to get the vote out because the bottom line is just like what we're going through today with the presidency if people don't vote all of your activism means nothing you know so my big thing is we've got to get the vote out the other thing too is when I saw a lot of the quote-unquote naughty nurse types you know with the little things over their you know um, I mean, look, whatever people want to do, that's their business. 
But I do believe that women have to work 10 times harder than men do because they're constantly sexually exploited. And when I would try to tell a lot of these girls, hey, look, if you're just looking for a job, if you need money, I can help you find a job with a good company that will respect you as a woman. You don't have to go around topless, you know, I mean, because that's basically pretty much what it was. And I think at that time, about the only women that were in the sector were bud babes. And, and they're nice girls, don't get me wrong. You know, and, and I, I mean, no offense towards anyone. And I would, I would feel sad for some of the girls, though, because some of them would be baby mamas. You know, they'd have little babies. And their boyfriends were running the dispensaries, but they were just giving them free weed in exchange for their work. And I'm thinking, you have a child. You have a child to take care of. How are you going to do that? And then, you know, I mean, that, but that's that gangster thug lifestyle. So even then, when I came in, I mean, there were some guys, and I won't name names because they still have their following out there. But there were a couple of guys, namely one in particular, that went after me with a vengeance. And I'll tell you exactly why. He came to me when I started working with the very first hedge fund. And he wanted me to help him get funding for his edible company. And so I really genuinely tried to help him because he was very powerful in the activism world. Um, and so he, he didn't have a pre he didn't even have a presentation or anything. And this is all the way back in 2010. This was right when the first uh, publicly traded company started. You know, but there was a lot of things. You know, I tried to help him, but there's a lot of things that he did not tell me. So, for example... When I took this into my investment banking firm that I was working with as a senior advisor, you know, they started the vetting process. I was very green at that time. I didn't start the vetting process because I thought, well, they'll do that. Long story short, this guy had multiple, multiple felonies, not just for cannabis, but for cocaine and meth and all this other stuff. And then he had three outstanding warrants against him because he was having underage edibles parties for young teenage girls. So three different parental groups went after him and shut him down. Well, he never told anybody that. He just told everybody that I prevented him from getting funding. Mm. That's not mm. true. And I told him, I said, look, you, you know, that's not true. That's not what happened. I tried to help you. And I said, one of the things you're going to have to learn is in this new world, you got to be on. Well, you should be honest all the time. But in the new world, people are not going to give you 500,000, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, 60 million. They're not going to give you a penny until they vet you because they don't people who have tremendous wealth at this level of the game they can't soil their brand or their image by attaching themselves to someone that has that much baggage. Mm -hmm. and he, he organized one of these internet troll campaigns. They ended up getting like 10 of my websites shut down. So every single time I'd get one back up, they shut it down again, which cost me tens of thousands of dollars. And it's like, why? Because your ego got hurt because you, somebody caught on to your, your scam, you know, this isn't the old days of the, you know, the gangster stuff anymore. I mean, of course that's still around, but I just knew that to be successful for all of us, we had to legitimize the industry. You know, I personally love our industry. I think, well, for me, I can only speak for myself, but I feel like I'm one of the luckiest people in the world just to witness the history that we've made to this point. 
you know, and to be able to be alive at, at this point. And what I really hope is, um, you know, like when I, <laughs> when I first came out in such a big way, you know, I'd, I'd have a lot of women contact me and they'd say, oh my God, I heard you on such and such podcast. Or I saw you on NBC or ABC or whatever. And I was just so moved, but I'm so scared. The women were always so scared. And it was usually because they were moms and they didn't want to lose their children. And you know what? That is a very real concern. And that's why we started Moms for Marijuana to help women that were working in, in illegal or questionable states you know, we didn't want them to have to fear to lose their children, lose their jobs. And that's why all of us have to continue to gather together and support each other and find our common bonds, not our negative attributes, because we've got a mission to accomplish here. So you took all of this very intense and ter- terrifying energy directed at you. Oh yeah. Turned it into something positive. I've been shot at. I had a bunch of people saving up their urine and jugs to throw on me at a high times cannabis cup. I had people warning me they're looking for you. They want to throw this urine on you. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? And they said, well, they just don't want you at the high times cannabis cup because they think that you're too snobby or whatever. I'm like, look, I don't have to go to the High Times Cannabis Cup. No problem. I don't want someone dousing me in their urine. But what kind of a person saves their urine and milk jugs just to carry to the High Times Cannabis Cup? <laughs> I mean, what? Part of my language, but what the fuck? You know, wow. that's crazy. And a lot of them, you know, because I would have friends that had infiltrated. I'm like, why, why are they coming after me? They said, because that one guy, the one guy that came after you because he doesn't like you, you know? And I thought all these other people going to hate me because so-and-so doesn't like me because he lied about all this. And that's basically what it was. Well, what's interesting is this guy actually died of an overdose a couple years ago. And all these people calling me, oh my God, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And like, how do you feel? And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm personally relieved. He took pictures of me and my daughter and put them up on porn sites, on escort sites. And you know what? A lot of people went right behind him like, go get him, go get her, go get her, go take him down, take him down. There was even an official hashtag, take down Cheryl Schumann, uh, <laughs> like mission. And it wasn't a whole lot of people. It was like maybe a dozen people. But what they do is they make up 50 to 100 uh, accounts and like on Facebook, if your posts get um, clicked on or flagged like five times within an hour period, guess what? You lose your whole profile. Mm. Do not get it back. So same thing with social media. These people, as primarily men, a couple of women, you know, that got in there, they were they were um, let's go get her thinking. If they got rid of me, that all of a sudden because now there's this media attention that somehow they would be the one on TV. And that was the biggest thing I'd hear from people. What is she doing on TV? I'm the one that's been in this since 1950 something, or I'm the one that's been on the front lines. I've been the one to jail. You know, I'm really sorry about that. The reason I ended up on TV is because I've worked in television for so, so long. 
I was married to a newscaster with, with NBC, and I know what they need. Basically, at the end of the day, a newscaster, a producer, what they want is a plug-and-play story that's vettable, that's able to be checked out, that's factual, and is delivered with really good content that, quite frankly, is going to boost up their numbers so they can charge more for their advertising. That's what it's all about. You know, so if you can give someone a hot story in marijuana, cannabis, hemp, whatever you're going to talk about, that's a hot topic right now on, on all levels. And it's international and there's importing and exporting international. So that's why I decided, you know, OK, you kids that want to sit here and sling mud while you're slinging mud in California, I'm going to Europe <laughs> and I'm going to build my brand there and in other continents. So while I'll build a global brand, you guys will still be sitting here you know, like cursing at me about how I destroyed your life, you know? Cheryl, I'm, I, I, I can't even thank you enough. And it, I, I'm so blown away by what you have withstood in your life and yet continued to get up, even when you literally cannot walk. Yeah. Walk forward. And, yeah. you know, it, Without women like you, women like me would have a lot more work to do. We, it would be a much harder road than the hard road we're already walking because somebody had to go before us and clear the brush. And it, from all of us, all women in the industry, thank you for being a fighter and standing on the front lines. It's, it, it's just, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Don't make me cry. Don't make me cry. No, I mean, honestly, there have been so many times and like my girls, my two daughters have cried. They're like, mom, please don't do this. These they're people, these people are going to end up either killing you. Um, I'd been shot at three times. I've, I've had people attack me, not just verbally, but physically. And worse than anything, you know, like I remember because I started recording. I don't know if you've seen my video diaries, but I record a lot of video diaries because a lot of times people, you know, when they see you at your best and your hair is done and your makeup's on and all that, they assume that you don't have a care in the world. They have no idea what I have to deal with with my health issues every single day. And my health care alone costs around 30 grand a month. You know, because I don't qualify because I have pre-existing conditions. And it's like you make too much to fit into one and not enough to fit into another. Mm -hmm. So people just think that I have this rosy, rosy life. And, and I do. I mean, I feel like each day of life is a rosy, rosy day, you know, and I'm grateful for every single moment. But, you know, all I wanted to do, because, I mean, who knew that it was going to even last this long or I'd even still be here? But my whole purpose was, I think because I was a mom of two daughters, I wanted my my daughters who hopefully will want to, you know, take the company at some point and, and, and grow it when I'm gone. But I wanted women to know, it, not just in the cannabis industry, but I felt that this had the most potential. I wanted them to know because the bottom line is, and you, you probably know this because you're on your game, but 87% of all household buying decisions, whether it be healthcare, insurance, housing, cars, 87% of those decisions are always made by the woman of the house, whether they have an outside job or they're just a housewife. That entity those women are so incredibly powerful. Those women are the women that build companies and build brands. And once you win them, 
then you win the whole game. And that's why I fought so hard on a global level to bring women out of the closet, again, from all over the world. I mean, like, for example, in Latin America, there's Fundacion Daya, there is uh, Mama Cultiva, and these are all uh, Latin American women. Some of them are, are indigenous in the Colombian jungles. Some of them are in Mexico that are barely making 10 cents a day or whatever it is that they make. And they're able to come into this sector, get training, and literally open up, open up these new markets. And you know what? We go in and we organize training for them for free. They don't even have to pay for it. We do all that. So I, I think it's funny when people say, oh, she's ripping off the whole community for all this stuff. And I'm thinking, honey, if you guys only knew how much I did for free, because I really love these people and I love our community and our, I love our mission and I love the crusade. You know, I really do. I mean, it's, you know, my, look, my two girls are grown now and I love them very much. But when your daughter sits you down and say, mom, please, <laughs> we're, we're married now. We're in our thirties and we can't just hang out with you all the time. <laughs> you know? It's like my mom used to say, cause my nickname's Jake. She'd say now, Jake, my mom was a Southern gal. She's like, now Jake, let me explain something to you. Your babies, your girls, no matter how old they get, no matter if they're in their fifties, sixties or seventies, I'm telling you right now, they will always be your babies. And, and that's how I, you know, I see my daughter still as like two and three year old toddlers, you know, that cute little, you know, mm -hmm. little face and stuff. But, you know, I, I just want all women to believe in themselves and no matter what job they want to um, accomplish, just as long as you have passion. And, and the most important thing is never give up no matter what, never, ever give up. Okay. I want to know from the perspective of an elder mm -hmm. to these women that you're speaking to right now, mm -hmm. you've been around a long time in the industry and you have been very active in building women focused communities from your mm -hmm. position. Now, what do you think the community of women are doing right? And where are we sabotaging ourselves? Oh, that's kind of sort of a very easy question. Um, I don't I don't like mentioning names, but <laughs> um, what people need to stop doing is gossiping and backstabbing. And it's women are not at war with each other. You know, you shouldn't start talking about people and plotting their demise the minute they leave your conversation and walk out of a Las Vegas, something where you've just met someone. And I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of cattiness. I've seen a lot of, a lot of not only self-sabotage, but just community sabotage. Mm -hmm. um, have you heard, heard of uh, this Australian, it, they, they call it the tall poppy syndrome? Mm -hmm. Well, in Australia with the poppy season, the, the flowers, if one towers above the other, they go in and they cut all the flowers off level. So none of the none of the none of the flowers go higher than the other one. It's called tall poppy syndrome. And in the human uh, being world, um, anyone who gets above a certain class of people, they have to bring them back down to those levels. So if someone's succeeding, they have to they feel like they have to pull them back in. So I think the most important thing is to number one, live a life of authenticity live your truth, 
find out what you want to do in life. And you know, if you just want to stay at home and be a, a mom and do something, that's great. But if you want to be in the cannabis industry and you want to make a big splash because you want to start an edibles company with your mom's favorite recipes she, she used to make them with, but now you're going to put some CBD or CBG or something else in them. But no matter what you want to do, don't, don't play around with games and trying to take other people down. Try to find ways that you can collaborate instead of compete. There are so many, um, there are so many things that we, we believe in together. I, I think that's the most important thing. But what I've seen with a lot of the groups uh, that are organizing for women now, honestly, a, a lot of it seems very catty, very competitive, very mean-spirited in many ways. And um, I, I, I was very disappointed to see some of the groups that popped up. Some of them are great. Like, I think you're great. Some of them are not so great, <laughs> you know? Because, and again, I think some of them are very discriminatory. So what would you say to these younger women or older women? But in my experience, I tend to find it skews a little bit more to a younger woman who isn't quite as experienced in the mm -hmm. professional world. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, how should we lead our community? How should we set an example for younger women professionals to mm -hmm. teach them and show them how to build what it is we're trying to achieve here instead of following in the path of what they learned in high school about relating to each other. Right. You know, something I, it, it's really hard. What, one of the things that we started doing, you know, back when I started the Beverly Hills Cannabis Club is we started doing events up at the farm. I have uh, 68 acres up in Northern California and what I wanted to do, like, and we still do it, like I invite people up and we'll have yoga weeks where we'll come, we'll do yoga, we'll go out in the garden. I teach them how to, you know, work with the cannabis plants, how to uh, harvest them, how to do the extractions and literally teach them like a mentorship, um, literally one-on-one. -on -one. And these are the kinds of educations you can't get out of a book or out of school. And not that I'm against college, but let's face it, there really are no college courses really for what we all do. Right. Um, it, it's quite diverse. And and also the other thing is I, I personally find mentorship much more rewarding because you learn a lot more. Is it good to go to all the events and trade shows? Well, yeah, but, you know, quite frankly, a lot of these young women, they can't afford $1,500 or $2,000 to go to an event. Are you kidding? You know, so there has to be ways to go in and have a plan, whether it go in as volunteers or a mentorship program or whatever. But but even even with that, that's all going to change now because of, of the um, pandemic. So what's important right now is, number one, Health is important no matter what our age is. So I, I think all women should take as good care of possible of themselves, both both mind, body, and spirit, and to keep a positive attitude. Pos positive attitude is everything. And also treat everyone with kindness. Like, I mean, I've had people come to my face and say, I hate you. I fucking hate you. And I'll shake their hand or give them a hug. And they're like, why are you doing that? And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't even know you. I've never met you. But for you to be so passionate about hating me, I don't know what's driving this thing, but I feel sad for you. I mean, because it can't possibly be anything I've done to you. But, and when I ended up speaking to her, like a half hour later, she cried her eyes out and she says, you know, and then I, she told me her whole life story, but it was all about her issues. 
but she made me the target. And I see that a lot with both, both men and women. But what's funny is like when people take the time to sit down and talk with me, they're like, you're not anything like I expected you to be. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that I know it's like, oh, God, it's one of those things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I can't say that I, I like everybody. <laughs> I don't think everybody's nice, but I, I try to be respectful and kind to everyone. And I think that's what we all need to do. And I think especially now, this is very scary for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to tell you, for me personally, every morning I worry is, is today going to be the day that Trump pushes the red button and there's no longer an earth? Um, are we all going to be taken in? I, I don't know if you saw the Portland. Uh, yes, I thing. Yeah, that, that's scary. And then and even in Beverly Hills, at my place in Beverly Hills, we got looted. Almost all of Beverly Hills is shut down. Most of it got burned because right in the Golden Triangle. And that's when I thought, you know what? I sold my house. I got a one-bedroom condo. It cost me $7,500 a month, which isn't that much money. But I thought, why should I pay $7,500 a month to sit here and see buildings go on fire? There's nothing here anymore. People are terrified to go outside. Why should I do that when I've got a home in Ohio and in Kentucky with acreage on it? I've got my horses there. I can have my dogs there. And guess what? I can go outside and and it's beautiful and you know, where I grew up, um, it's a very poor area. In fact, I grew up in the poorest county in the entire country. But, you know, I've always said I'd much rather be poor in the bank account and rich in spirit because our spirituality has much more value than paper money. Paper money really doesn't even have any value anymore. But what I would really like to see is, is women in general be more authentic. You want to, And if someone wants to reach out to me, reach out to me. You'd be shocked to know that I actually return most of my personal calls. And people are like, oh my God, I didn't think it would be actually you calling me back. And it's like, yeah, I actually like talking to people, especially now because it's lonely out here. You know, we're all isolated. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This is the time. I truly believe that in these types of, you know, like mar- m- m- markers in our, in our lives, these are the times when we can really change the course of history in the world. I believe that with all my heart. Or I wouldn't still be here. I agree with you. Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. It has been very inspiring and enlightening, and I hope it's been a good conversation for you, too. I know you've shared quite a bit with us today. Well, I hope I hope it was okay. You know, I sometimes I worry. Did I say too much? Did I did I come across too aggressive? Well, yeah. you know what i I really appreciate your authenticity because there's nothing more valuable to me than that, and to actually hear your authentic experience, how you've dealt with it. I'm grateful that you were willing to be so vulnerable, and it's I think it's a real gift to our listeners for you to bring your vulnerability, because that is what is so compelling. And it's what is so interesting about you is you are really so accessible and that you're willing to share that with people that you don't know. So thank you for making it a really interesting conversation. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate the outreach. And I, I, I look forward to seeing what we can do in the future. And like I Me said, for the so day, lady- I think you're doing great work. Thank you. So like, I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, thank you. And, you know, you have definitely been a supporter since the beginning and you have given me so much encouragement and support as well. So it's my honor to be able to highlight you in this way. And 
we will discuss some other ways that we I, I already have in mind for us to work together. Ladies, if you are interested in taking Cheryl up on her offer to connect, you can reach her at Cheryl. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my cue. Yes. <laughs> yes. The best thing is to email me first. That would be Cheryl at Cheryl Schumann.com spelled C-H-E-R-Y-L. Schumann is S-H-U-M-A-N. So Cheryl at Cheryl Schumann.com or Cheryl Schumann at Gmail. And if you're on social media, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, at Cheryl Schumann, Cheryl Schumann, Cheryl Schumann. <laughs> right on. And keep in mind, branding is very important. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And thank you. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. I look forward to having you join me for another conversation next week. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch with me, or if you are a woman leading who would like to have a conversation with me about leadership, feel free to reach out to hello at womenempoweredincannabis.com. Until next week. Have a good one, ladies. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.